time management requires pain management because whether it's reading too much news, drinking too much booze, scrolling too much Facebook, it doesn't matter. Any of that stuff can be a distraction if you don't understand why you are using those things in the first place. And the reason you are getting distracted by those things is always because you are trying to escape an uncomfortable feeling. Welcome back to Hypercurious, a show that it's all about embracing changes and following our curiosity. My name is Beta Luca. I'm a BAFTA-winning serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and multi-hyphenate. Each week, I unveil the most intriguing aha moments and leaps of learnings of successful leaders, founders, authors, and artists, and how they achieve greatness by staying hypercurious. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome the author of two best-selling and most impactful books every founder must read. They're called Hooked and Indestructible. You might know who I'm talking about already, Nir Eyal. He writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. He previously taught at Stanford Graduate School of Business and co-founded and sold two tech companies. He's dubbed by the MIT Technology Review as the prophet of habit-forming technology. Nier's writing has been featured at the New York Times, the Harvard Business Review, Time Magazine, and Psychology Today. In this show, you learn about the root cause of our endless problems with distraction and the concept of traction. How to take control of our time and stop blaming technology for our decisions. Make sure you stay tuned till the end when we go further into the marvelous concept of time boxing, something that revolutionized the way I allocate time to what matters most to me. Without further ado, let's welcome Nir to our first show of 2021. So I'm going to start with a question that I'm very curious about. What happened in your career or your life that made you so into and driven to study human behavior? Well, I think it depends on, on how far back you go. Uh, for me, I think I started my fascination with human behavior when I struggled with my own behavior. Uh, I struggled with obesity for a, a good portion of my life. And I remember feeling like food controlled me. And uh, it was through overcoming that difficulty. I mean, I still struggle with food and I have my whole, whole life. I used to be clinically obese. Now I'm actually in the best shape of my life at 43 years old, but I never liked exercise. I never liked, uh, you know, watching my weight. And it's always been a struggle for me. But I think, you know, understanding the essence of why we do things that we know we shouldn't has always been fascinating to me. Why we get tempted, why we... Uh, go off track, why we get distracted. And, you know, I think what, w one of the things that I've learned kind of in my, in my research journey has been that most people know what to do in life, right? We all know how to eat right and exercise. We all know how to be fully present with people. We all know that we should do our work and stop procrastinating. The problem is not that we don't know what to do. We all know what to do. The problem is we don't know how to stop getting in our own way. And that's something that I struggled with for years you know, one from a very early age with my weight, uh, but then, you know, throughout life, just struggling with 
day-to-day temptations. Part of it being like we live in an amazing world where there's so many good things to try, right? Like unbelievable food, uh, internet full of interesting content, uh, you know, people that we can meet and conversations we can have. And so, you know, the, the, the struggle with today is not a struggle with uh, with shortage, but a struggle with abundance, right? When there's so much choice out there. And that always fascinated me about specifically how products are shaped to, uh, to get us to different, to do different things. And I think that started for me from a very early age when I, when I struggle with my weight. Wow, I resonate so much with you. And coming from Brazil, even the pressure was even huger, <laughs> even huge on my on me because it's like, yeah, we go to the beach, so we need to be, you know, perfect shape all the time. So yeah, I I I, I was the same thing. So I really resonate with you. So you've written two bestseller books, uh, which I'm sure, I mean, I loved it, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners love as well, which are hooked and indestructible. And Hooked was all about teaching entrepreneurs and marketers how to create those sticky experiences and how to actually take that the learning and put into products for potentially to, to get better products and better experiences for people. And I know that you got hugely inspired by uh, video games as well, which I, again, resonates on another, another level with me, right, as a creator of video games. And then you spent five years writing Indestructible. So what made you go, what was the process that made you go from one extreme to the other? Well, I don't know if I would call it two extremes. I would call it two sides of the same coin, that if Hooked was about how do you build good habits in people's lives, then Indistractable is about how do we break the bad habits. Uh, and, and the good news is we can have both, right? That we can have good habits and break bad habits, right? That's, I think, the, an essential skill uh, of the 21st century is becoming indistractable. And indistractable is, I think, a response to this recent tech backlash that we have that, you know, there's critics who say, oh, technology is evil. And you, you've heard this being in the video game industry, right? That, oh, technology is making, uh, you know, melting our brains and video games are making us violent and all this stuff is BS. It's not true. It's not supported by the research. It's nothing but uh, moral panic that, uh, you know, I did tons of research, five years of research for this book. And let me tell you, the, the problem is not technology. Every generation, every generation, all the way back to Plato, the Greek philosopher 2,500 years ago, bemoans how distracted the world is. Plato, 2,500 years ago, talked about akrasia, the tendency to do things against our better interest. And so, if people were complaining about this problem 2,500 years ago, the problem can't be Facebook and the iPhone, right? This is just the latest iteration of different forms of distraction. And look, if you are looking to get distracted, heck yeah, there are more people out there willing to sell you distraction than ever before. But the root cause of the problem is not our technology. And so indistractable is, is a uh, response to help people understand that they are not powerless unless they think they are that if you believe there's nothing you can do, that technology is addicting you, that it's hijacking your brain, guess what? You stop trying, right? And so I wanted to show people that you are much more powerful than the tech companies. You are much more powerful than any of your distractions if you know what to do and if you try, if you believe that you can do something about the problem. What these media companies want you to believe is that you're powerless, right? They want you to believe you're addicted. They want you to believe it's hijacking your brain. And it's not true because there are so many things that we can do as individuals that make us way, way more powerful than they are. That's very true. And I, and I think there is something about defining what matters to us, right? And I think we probably lost that 
in this abundant world of defining what matters to us. And, and I loved uh, when you talked about traction, you know, and I, I would love you to explain to your listeners the concept of traction, because to me, that was the key in the book that really made everything change in my brain. I was like, oh, of course that, right? If you are intentional, if you are, you know, onto something, you actually uh, have a plan and you have a goal and you have a structure, then you go for that and then you can deal with distractions in a different manner. So I would love you to explain to everyone the, the, the concept of traction and of course the, the, the four pillars of the model of uh, indistractable. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a, a really good place to start is to understand what is distraction. The Even the, the word is important to understand. I think it's one of these words that people think they understand, but when you actually grill them on it, they don't understand. I certainly did understand it. Uh, one of the best ways to know if you really understand something is to know whether you understand the opposite of that thing. So if you asked, what's the antonym? What's the opposite of distraction? Most people will say the opposite of distraction is focus, right? That makes sense. The opposite of distraction is focus, except that's not exactly right. That the opposite of distraction, if you look at the origin of the word, is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. That both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull, and they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you're gonna do, things you do with intent, things that help you move towards your values and help you become the kind of person you wanna become. Now, the opposite of traction is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you further away from what you plan to do, farther away from your goals, farther away from your values, and farther away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So the reason this is so important is because anything can be traction or distraction, right? Doing something productive isn't necessarily traction. Many times it can be distraction. Let me give you an example. For years, I would sit down at my table at work and I'd say, okay, now I'm going to get started. Nothing's going to distract me. I'm not going to procrastinate. Here I go. I'm going to get started. I'm going to work on that big project I've been delaying. But first, let me just check some email real quick, right? Let me just scroll that Slack channel for a minute. Let me just do that one quick thing that feels productive that feels like a work-related task, because I gotta do it anyway, right? I'm being, I'm being productive. No, I'm being pseudo-productive, because that is the most dangerous type of distraction. The distraction that tricks you into prioritizing the urgent and easy stuff at the expense of the important and hard work you know you have to do. So just because something feels like work, just because it feels like it's productive, doesn't mean it's not a distraction. Anything that is not what you plan to do is a distraction by definition. And conversely, anything you plan to do is by definition traction. So don't listen to these people who say, oh, video games are bad for you and social media is dangerous and blah, 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 blah. Come on, anything you wanna do with your time, if you do it according to your schedule and your values, it's fine. Why, why is watching a football game on TV better than playing a video game? Tell me, I don't know why. There's nothing better or worse about it. If it's fun, if it's what you want to do with your time and according to your values, enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with it. But do it on your schedule, not somebody else's. That's the difference between traction and distraction. So you have to be able to define what is traction for you in your life, right? I'm not going to tell you what to do with your time. You have to decide based on what? Based on your values. Values are defined as attributes of the person you want to become. So most people 
when you ask them, you know, what did you get distracted from? They can't tell you. They just complain and whine and moan and blame technology and Facebook and the internet and the modern world and everything but the fact that they never define for themselves how they want to spend their time. So you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. You have to define how you want to spend your time in advance. So we have traction and we have distraction. Now what prompts us, what moves us to traction or distraction are what we call triggers. We have internal triggers and external triggers. External triggers are the things that we tend to blame, the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in our outside environment that moves us towards traction or distraction, right? That, but it turns out that all of those things outside of us account for only 10% of the reason we get distracted. 90% of the time, we get distracted not because of what is happening outside of us, but because of what is happening inside of us. These are called internal triggers. What are internal triggers? Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional uh, states that we seek to escape from. Loneliness, uncertainty, fatigue, anxiety, stress, these uncomfortable feelings that we want to escape. And so if we don't understand that this is the root cause of distraction, this is the root cause of procrastination. It's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. Your brain isn't broken. You just haven't learned the skills to deal with discomfort in a healthy way that leads you towards traction rather than distraction, which is why we have to remember that time management requires pain management. Let me say that again. Time management requires pain management because whether it's reading too much news, drinking too much booze, watching too much football, scrolling too much Facebook, it doesn't matter. Any of that stuff can be a distraction if you don't understand why you are using those things in the first place. And the reason you are getting distracted by those things is always because you are trying to escape an uncomfortable feeling. When you talk to people about why didn't you do the thing you have to do, if they're really honest with you, it's always the same thing. I didn't feel like it. I didn't want to, right? And I get it. I wrote this book for me, okay? I constantly felt that. I didn't feel like exercising. I didn't feel like working on that big project. I'll delay that till later because I didn't know how to deal with the discomfort that I was feeling. So we have to start there. Now we have the four points of the indistractable model. Starts with mastering those feelings, mastering those internal triggers so we control them, they don't control us. The second step is to make time for traction, to define for us in our day what is traction and what is distraction. Then the next step is hacking back the external triggers, making sure that we can ask ourselves whether those external triggers, all these pings, dings, and rings are really serving us and removing the ones that don't serve us. And then finally, the fourth step, preventing distraction with pacts. So using these four steps in concert, this is how we become indistractable. It's fascinating, and I already have so many questions as you were explaining that. I want to I wanna start by talking about values and things that we need, right? Uh, because, of course, we all, right, as of right now, as of the time of this recording, most of the world is in the middle of the pandemic, we're in lockdown. And, and of course, we are craving a lot of connection and meaningful interactions with people. And I personally have been finding myself very distracted with Clubhouse. 
And Clubhouse is this new uh, social platform that is all audio-based and you have conversations. And to me, the reason why I, I, I can't, I'm not even kind of considering if it's attraction or distraction, but the reason why I'm pulling to that is because it's fulfilling a need that I have. It, it's part of my values. I, I absolutely love having conversations like this and meaningful conversations with smart people. So I wonder, uh, two questions around that, right? So one is, how is it that we transform something that we enjoy and use those platforms in a traction way, as opposed to looking at that as a distraction? So one question. And the other question is, is a broader, more philosophical one. Do you believe that uh, Clubhouse is actually um, using some hook models to get us, you know, into the growth machine without really caring that we should all, all have meaningful interactions? Yeah, so let me start with the second question first. Look, what makes a product potentially addictive to some people is what makes it good for the rest of us. Right. Right. Do we want to tell Clubhouse, hey, can you make a shitty product? Because it's really good. I want to use it all the time. Hey, Netflix, your movies are really way too good. Can you make them bad? Uh, Apple, your products are so user-friendly. Can you please make them harder to use? Because I like it a lot. Uh, Facebook, I find I really want to interact with you all the time. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right? What makes a product yeah. good also can make it something that people want to use all the time. That's their job. Yeah. And it's not their fault, right? So we have to start taking personal responsibility and saying, look, the price of progress is good products, right? <laughs> That's not yeah. a bad thing. It's a blessing. Yeah. It's great. Can you imagine how terrible it would have been to go through this horrible pandemic and add the, the, the disconnection that we would have had had this happened in 1990? Imagine instead of 2020, COVID-19 was not COVID-19, it was COVID-90. It came out in 1990, before the internet. It would have been a hundred times worse, right? How could we have gotten through it without the fact that, look, you're in Brazil, I'm in Singapore, we're talking for free with magic video screens. I mean, does anybody stop and think how crazy this is? <laughs> like. If you would have told me when I was a kid that this would be possible, I was like, come on, this is, that's a movie, you're right? Yeah, like, it was so sci-fi, right? It was a sci-fi movie, yeah. And here we are, we're living it. I mean, it's crazy. And it's making our life tremendously better. Now, the price of progress is that we need to grow up and realize, and I'm not blaming you because I get it too. I, I've been here as well and everybody does this, right? It's our knee-jerk reaction, right? This is hard, so it's somebody else's fault, <laughs> right? Uh, McDonald's, your food is too delicious. It's your fault, right? Like internet, there's too many good things. Clubhouse, you're doing it to me. Now, for the vast majority of us, we need to learn this and we can learn how to manage these things, right? It's like when you were a kid and you wanted to do nothing but eat chocolate if your parents would let you, right? And then you grew up and you learned self-control and now you don't eat chocolate even though you can. You're a grown up, you can do nothing but, you know, eat bonbons all day, but you don't because you, you, you learn a skill set to help you deal with temptation. And that's what we need to do with all of these wonderful things in our world. Now, I will say it is new and so we haven't learned how to do it yet, 
okay? And that's what Indistractable is all about. I make it easy for people to learn how to uh, overcome these potential distractions and temptations. That being said, there is a subset of people who it really isn't their, their fault, okay? And, and by the way, lots of things are not your fault, but they are your responsibility, okay? You didn't invent Facebook, you didn't invent Clubhouse, you didn't invent Twitter, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility, okay? Because this is reality. We can't wind back the hands of time. That's not going anywhere. We have to do something about it, unless you're a protected class. So I can think of two, at least two protected classes of people. One is currently protected, one is not, and I think should be. One is children, okay? Children are a protected class. I would not let my 12-year-old daughter walk into a bar and order a gin and tonic. She's not ready for it. I wouldn't let her gamble in a casino. She's not ready for it. She's too young. And so children should be protected online as well. Now, you tell me why when I walk into a restaurant today and I see a family around a table out for dinner and the dad and the mom and the kids are all on their devices. Is that Apple's fault or is that crappy parenting? I think it's crappy parenting, personally. That's not Apple's fault or Android's fault. That's the fact that parents don't want to hear their kids whine. So they say, here, here's, an, an, here's my iPhone. Now it's an iNanny. That's not the technology's fault. Um, children do need special protection legally. And as parents, we need to protect them from the overuse of technology. And I show you in the book, Indistractable, exactly how to do that. The other protected class of people who are not currently protected, but I think should be, are people who are pathologically addicted. Now, we use this term addiction all the time. I'm addicted to McDonald's. I'm addicted to uh, the computer. I'm addicted to Facebook. And you're not. <laughs> you're not addicted. An addiction is a disease, okay? It is a pathology. And a very small proportion of people have it, right? Now, it's about 1% to 5% of the population. And there are all kinds of products that 95 to 99% of us can use and never get addicted. How many of us have a glass of beer with lunch or a glass of wine with dinner? We don't all become alcoholics, right? That's crazy. Very, very few people percentage-wise are alcoholics. So some people are pathologically addicted to one thing or the other online, right? Some are, and they deserve special protection. And I've been advocating for this for years. But the vast majority of us we talk about this addiction, these addictions, like we have them, and we don't. And it does nothing but serve these tech companies' interests. Because when you think you're addicted, oh, there, there's a dealer. There's you a pusher. You become helpless. Yeah. You can do about it. I'm helpless. I'm addicted. My brain is hijacked. The chemicals, the dopamine, there's nothing I can do. It's such bullshit, okay? It is so wrong and harmful to believe that stuff because when you believe it's hopeless, you don't try. It's called learned helplessness. So some people really do have the disease of addiction and it's disrespectful to, to, to think that you have this addiction even though you don't and it's not helpful to you. So we all need to realize that unless you are in that small percentage of people who are either children, right? Children need protection or pathologically addicted. It's not an addiction. It's simply a distraction. And, and, and so what responsibility do, do these companies have? I think companies do have a responsibility to help those two parties. But for the rest of us, it's a personal responsibility issue.
Yeah, very interesting. It's a very interesting way to look at things because, again, it, it's, a, it's the same thing, the same challenge that we as, as leaders and, and entrepreneurs are having at the moment, right? So we have our workforce all working from home and, and the structures have disappeared, right? The structure of the office disappeared. And I think it's, uh, it's our responsibility as leaders, as CEOs, as CMOs, as, you know, entrepreneurs of, of our own companies to find ways to, to encourage uh, our team members to, to, to stay on traction without burning out. Right, and I yep. think that's yep. uh, that's a similarity, right? You, you, and and again, parents' responsibility to make sure that their kids are not addicted to something when they are not ready to be consuming those those kind of activities for for longer periods of time. And in the workplace as well. So there's a whole section in the book, Indistractable, about how to build an indistractable workplace, how to raise indistractable kids, how to have indistractable relationships. And the workplace part is very, very important, I think. I think a lot of um, people don't realize how important company culture is, that what we find, the research reveals that when people are distracted in the workplace, they think it's the technology. They think, oh, it's because I'm getting too many emails and Slack notifications and phone calls. It actually is a co company culture issue that the problem of distraction at work, whether we're working in an office or working distributed, if you find you can't focus, you can't concentrate, you can't do what you said you're going to do because you're constantly interrupted, it's not the technology. It's the fact that we can't have the conversation about, hey, I can't do my best work because I'm constantly interrupted. And so the problem of distraction at work is that we can't talk about the problem of distraction at work. If you can't raise your hand and say, hey, look, I cannot finish my assignments here at work because I'm constantly being interrupted with meetings and Zoom and phone calls and emails. How am I supposed to get anything done? If you are embarrassed to have that conversation, you probably have all kinds of other stuff going on at work that you also can't talk about. That's what we reveal. The research shows that this is a canary in the coal mine. It shows if you can't, if you are, if you find that you're distracted at work, I promise you, it's all kinds of other crap that you're not talking about in the workplace as well. And once you can start talking about this, that's what we find at companies. If people can make this a point of discussion in the workplace of how can we work more efficiently by having time in our day scheduled without distraction? Whoa, everything starts changing, right? That becomes when we set up, and I show you exactly how to do this. When we set up these conversations around distraction, we can talk about all kinds of other stuff and solve all kinds of other problems that aren't related to distraction because now we have this clear line of communication. This is fascinating. We don't spend enough time, uh, yeah, planning those things and, and creating the culture and how... Has it been now even more challenging that we are working from home? Because in a way, when you were in the office, right, those conversations could happen. You could say, no, bear with me. I'm in the middle of something here. And then someone would go yeah. away. But when you are online all the time and working, how do, do you think it got much worse? So I don't know if it got better or worse. I would say it got different. It changed. Uh, we know from surveys that the number one source of distraction uh, in the workplace, number one, more than phones, more than Slack, more than email, is other people. Number one, is someone coming by your desk 
when you're trying to concentrate, you're trying to think, and they say, hey, can I talk to you for a quick second? Or did you hear that gossip? Or, oh my God, can you come to this meeting real quick? I need you. That is the number one source of distraction. So that's gone, right? So when people are not working in an office setting, that's not a problem anymore. But now it's different, right? Now we have your kids and your spouse. And homeschooling for a lot of parents now. (laughs) Right, so it's changed, it's different. And luckily, you know, I wrote the book before the pandemic, but I actually go through every single one of these distractions. I show you how to overcome the distraction of kids, right? Like kids can be a huge distraction. (laughs) We love them to death, but what do you do if you're trying to work and your kid constantly interrupts you? So I show you exactly what to do about that. It's actually pretty easy to solve how, how to help your kids interrupt the interruption, so to speak. So uh, they've changed in that respect. One thing that's gone that I think has made it more difficult is that we don't have the opportunity to have uh, conversations as easily, for better or worse. Something, in some ways, that's a good thing, but in many ways, you know, it, it, it prohibits or makes it more difficult to say, hey, we need to talk about this. Like, this needs to change here because this is not working for me. Can we have that time? In some ways, it's better. In some ways, it's it's worse. I would say it's definitely different. Right, <laughs> but right. the good news is that the principles don't change. The, the tactics might change, but the strategy doesn't change. Stra- tactics are what you do. Strategy is why you do it. And when you understand the indistractable model, you can apply it to all different kinds of circumstances. That, that leads me to a, a question that I have for you, which really, it's something that I started to do that really revolutionized my day, which is time boxing. And I know that you talk yes. about that. And it really, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a multi-hyphenate and I have, like, I run five projects at once. And one of my investors uh, say that I'm not a serial entrepreneur, I'm a parallel entrepreneur. So I, I was always like, you know, owing something to someone. And since I started time boxing, it really changed everything. So I like would that. love you. Yeah, I would love you to. When, when I read your book and I was like, oh, my God, he's talking about time boxing. This is something that everyone should read and digest and put into practice. Can you share with us and with our listeners what time boxing is and how can you make it work? Yeah, hallelujah. I mean, I, I uh, amen to that. I, I love that you've uh, taken up time boxing. I also, you know, when I, I came across this research, and this isn't my discovery, I didn't invent time boxing. Time boxing is just basically planning out what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. And it is one of the most well-studied uh, techniques you can, you can use. I mean, literally thousands of studies have shown this is so effective. And people resist it all the time. Because what I'm telling you, it's very simple. It's just planning out your your entire day. That's all it is, planning out how you want to spend every minute of your day. Because think about it rationally. It is the only way to know what is traction and what is distraction is by deciding in advance. How do you know what is a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from? Everything is a distraction unless you decide, nope, this is what I want to do with my time, including the fun stuff. I'm not saying you have to be a robot and only do productive stuff every day. You want to go on Clubhouse? Awesome. Plan time in your day to go on Clubhouse. It's in your calendar. And if you do anything else, that becomes a distraction, right? Clubhouse is traction. Anything else is distraction. So it's an incredibly powerful technique that almost nobody does. Mm. Why do you think they don't? Here's why. The number one reason is because they know they'll have to do the work. Uh, When people hear this technique, and I know people are listening to me right now and saying, plan out every minute of my day. That's so rigid. I can't do that. I need spontaneity. My day always changes. They're thinking of a million reasons why they're a special snowflake and nobody has experienced life like they have. Let me tell you, 
I've heard it all. I've heard every excuse, okay? Everybody can time box to some degree or another. You can absolutely use this technique. The number one reason they don't do it is because there's a subconscious little voice in their head that says, wait a minute, if I plan when I'm gonna exercise, I may have to actually exercise. <laughs> or if I plan when I'm gonna do a big project, oh crap, I actually have to do the project. Which is ridiculous, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> you'll you have to go, go through the pain. <laughs> Yeah. You'll have to go and through the pain. Yeah. Exactly. If you don't want to exercise, I'm not going to tell you to exercise. What do I care, right? You don't want to do that big project. You don't want to write that novel. You don't want to be with your kids. Don't be with them. I don't care. <laughs> so, but then stop lying to yourself, right? What I Being indistractable means you're as honest with yourself as you are with other people. Most people out there are very honest with others, right? They don't lie to their friends. They don't lie to their family. They are honest people. Most people are honest, except to themselves, they are lying bastards to themselves. I was. I was a liar for years, right? I would say I was going to exercise. Nah. I would say I was going to eat right. Nah. I would say I was going to be fully present with my daughter. No, right? I would do all these things and lie to myself, right? All the time. And so that's what being indistractable is all about is to stop lying to yourself and say, look, I'm, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Right? I'm going to be as honest with myself as I am with other people. And the only way to do that is with time boxing. Now, it has another huge benefit. And this is where I go beyond, I think, some of the traditional literature and research that's, that's out there already, is I, uh, I propose this technique called schedule syncing. And this is really a game changer. I'm not sure if you've ad adopted it. But the, the practice that I um, advocate is after you've made a time box schedule, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with the important people in your life. So I sit down with my wife and my daughter once a week, and we sit down and we look at each other's calendars for the week. We do what's called a schedule sync. And we look and we say, it takes 15 minutes a week. And this has so many benefits, right? With my wife, we know, okay, who's doing what, when, which responsibilities, when am I going to take out the trash? When am I going to prepare the dinners? Whatever it's going to be, we are on the same page about all these household responsibilities. Particularly, listen, if you're a woman out there in a relationship with a man, Statistically, you are doing way more than your share of household admin. Studies find that even in 2021, even in marriages that men and women think there are equal partners, women still take on more of the crap work in the house. Still. And the reason this is happening, ladies, is because you're not sitting down with your husband and looking at your calendar. And as a husband, I'm telling you, we're dying for this. We just want to know what our responsibilities are. And the way we do that is we put it on our calendar. I know what's expected. I want one of my values. We talked about values earlier. Values are attributes of the person you want to become. I want to become a husband in an equitable marriage. I want to pull my weight. I don't want to feel guilty that my wife is doing more than, than I am. And for years, I felt guilty about that because I didn't know what needed to get done. Well, now I know because it's on my calendar. And the same exact practice can carry over into our workplace. If you sit down once a week with your boss and show them your calendar and say, hey, here's how I'm spending my time at work. Is there anything on my calendar that shouldn't be there? And is there anything that's not on my calendar that should be there? I guarantee you they will worship the ground you walk on. For that 10-minute investment to do this schedule sync, it will change your professional and personal life. It's a huge very important practice.
And and rechecking, you know, once you make a schedule, you don't set it in stone forever and ever. Like for the day you do. You don't once you make a schedule for the day, you don't touch it. But you can make a new schedule every day if you want. That's exactly. Fine. But once you decide this is what my day is going to be uh, spent doing, that's it. It's now it's sealed. But you can, you know, so for most people, about 80% of people out there, they have visibility into their week ahead. So for me and 80% of the people out there, once a week, I sit down, I do it Sunday nights, it takes me 15 minutes, and I know what my week is going to look like. So I put in time for me, time for my friends, time for my family, time for my work. It's in my calendar, okay? Some people, their jobs change every single day, different responsibilities, different duties, and they can they have to make a new calendar every week. That's fine. But you don't set it in stone, right? You reevaluate it from week to week to make it easier to follow, right? So you're checking in saying, oh, I need more time for this, less time for that. The idea here, though, is that you're deciding in advance how you want to spend your time. Nir, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. I made lots of notes here, mental notes, and I'm sure our listeners are going to be loving that. And please do buy his book because it's sensational, both of them. It really changed the way that I see life and my work. So one last question that I want to ask you is, is there anything, any specific message you want to share, we want to leave people with? Uh, how can they find you online and how can they contact you if they wish to collaborate with you or know more about everything that you talk about? Yeah, so uh, thank you for asking. So the book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. My last book was called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And my website is nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R and far.com so near and far.com and there's actually a free workbook a complimentary workbook there that we couldn't fit into the final edition of the book so uh, we we made it available for free it's going to be very useful for you whether you buy the book or not uh, to help you on your path to become indistractable fantastic thank you so much again here my pleasure thank you take care thanks for listening to me and near today if you love this conversation and want me to keep doing it, you can help. Give us a five-star rate, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. It will mean the world to me. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or even Clubhouse. For more information and all the episodes and why we do what we do, visit hypercurious.fm. For now, ciao, ciao.